0: Welcome back to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, this time we're doing it remotely, so we apologize in advance for any uh, potential sound issues here. Collins in Chicago for uh, Big Ten Media Days, which are uh, happening as this podcast is being published. So uh, he's there. Uh, I'm back in Columbus, but this is the first time we've done it remotely, so uh, we'll hope for smooth sailing, but uh, we apologize in advance for any issues that might arise yeah we won't we won't totally know about the audio until the end there i'm currently
1: in my hotel room in chicago just just under the covers because this place is just freezing cold because this ac i can't turn off
0: yeah if you can hear a little bit of rumbling in the back that's Collins' air conditioning so uh unfortunately being in a hotel uh that could cause some difficulty sometimes but uh we're gonna make the best of it Uh, Because we got a lot to talk about, Uh, another dominant performance for Ohio State, and a ton of questions uh, from you guys. Uh, Big thanks go out to you guys. Uh, You've been sending us more and more questions every single week, so we really appreciate the support, we really appreciate all the interest you guys have in the show, and uh, we really appreciate a lot of the positive feedback that you guys have been giving us. So uh, we'll try to make it another good show, and hopefully you guys will have good things to say again. And uh, I tell you, I think we have a lot of good things to say about the Ohio State football team right now, because... Uh, Saturday's game at Nebraska. Uh, I thought it was going to be at least a little bit more competitive, uh, and it wasn't. Uh, Ohio State dominated Nebraska, 48 to seven. We thought Nebraska's offense would maybe be a bigger test for the defense. It was not. Uh, defense held Nebraska to seven points and 231 yards. Uh, offense continued to roll. Justin Fields looked good. J.K. Dobbins looked good. Offensive line looked great. Uh, Ohio State is now one four straight games by at least 40 points and i think it's time to start asking a question is this the best team in the country i mean it's so funny because we open the show i feel
1: like we've opened the show every single week with the same thing it's like oh well justin fields is really good uh the running game was good the passing game was good the blocking was good the defense was good and we're just gonna have to keep on doing it and i'm not sure when it's gonna end at this point
0: yeah, I mean, it's 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 a really good football team, and, and I personally am more of a believer now than I was a week ago, and that's not it. to say that it'll last, it wasn't impressive in the first four weeks, but I think going to Nebraska, going on the road, uh, I thought this was going to be a game that uh, they were going to face more adversity, uh, I think Ryan Day, quite frankly, thought it was going to be a game if they were going to face more adversity, and, and that just didn't happen. And and now I think we, we've seen enough of a sample size. We still haven't seen this team play elite competition. There There's going to be uh, better opponents to come for this team, but when you look at the way they've beaten teams week in and week out, I think we're now at the point where we've seen it enough where you you can't just attribute it to playing bad teams. You can't just attribute it uh, to having more talent than the opponent. I think you got to look at what this team has done and say, this is a team that, in my view now, uh, really is a potential national championship kind of team.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because with Ohio State, like we all know, you enter the you enter the season with some sort of expectation that this team is going to compete for a they they're, they're going to honestly the expectation recently has been that they're going to probably win the Big 10 title which is a wild expectation to have but that's just where they're at as a program right now and the other expectation is that they're going to compete for a bid in the college football playoff and last year i mean they went 13-1 won the rose bowl won the big 10 but like i know we've talked about this as was there ever a point last year where you just felt as confident in ohio state as you do
0: right now no, there, there. Quite frankly, there wasn't, and you know that's why. You know, I think we talked about it a little bit last week, and I, I feel you know now, especially after seeing what happened at Nebraska, I have no doubt in saying that this is a better football team than last year, uh, and and a lot of that's because of the defense, because the defense really struggled. But uh, I think what surprised me, you know, I, I thought the defense would be better. I didn't think it would be this much better, this quickly. I thought the offense was going to take a step back, and I—I I almost have to say it's been better because the running game's been better. Uh, I, I, you know, I think the passing game has been comparable, which is I did not expect. I thought it, the passing game was going to take a significant step back without Dwayne Haskins, and I think the passing game's been comparable. I think the running game's been better. I think the defense has been substantially better, and you know, I think you just look at this team right now. You look at this team statistically, this is a team that ranks in the top 10 nationally in yards, in points, in yards per play, in yards allowed, points allowed, and yards allowed per play. Is, is that so good? That's really good. There's not any other team in college football that can say that.
1: That seems and pretty good
0: then. If there's a weakness on this team, we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, no, I mean, here's
1: the thing. We've been, That has been our main takeaway from literally week one, but the the wild thing about this team is that like the, the the longer you go just the more the more apparent weaknesses always sort of seem to be i don't just like think back to last year like game one against oregon state they laid 77 on oregon state and you look at that often it's like wow like Dwayne Haskins is going to lead this team he's going to have the 50 touchdowns like you could see that immediately but you could also see those signs on defense that that just things were not clicking i don't was it was it who was the? Who, did they? Didn't they have a ninety-yard play, an eighty-yard play, something like that? They had
0: a very long run uh, yeah. from Ar- Artavis Pierce. I believe he had two very long runs, if I remember. Correctly. He probably
1: did. Yeah, because that's just that's just sort of what happened last year. You sort of got these early signs, and then they continued. And let me tell you, if the early signs right now against bad competition continue against good competition, Ohio State, Ohio State's in business. And I think that like we're so optimistic in Ohio State because. We, we we see these things translating to better competition.
0: Yeah, as we we've kind of implied here, it's 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 kind of hard uh, to to not repeat ourselves and say the same things we've been saying every single week because they've just continued to be so dominant each and every week, and they haven't given us a whole lot to criticize. But you know, just taking a little little more look at the defense, uh, you know, I think first guy who really jumped off the page on Saturday night was was Jeff Okuda. Uh, and he's played great all year he's played an elite level but he's going to be a first round pick in next year's NFL draft if he keeps playing like this but three interceptions in the last two games he had never had one before and I think that's I think you can attribute that to a couple things I think for one getting the monkey off his back last week at Miami now he's not pressing for an interception Uh, now it's just more natural and he's taking advantage of the opportunities that are coming his way probably has a little more confidence now that he's got one under his belt And I think the way the other defensive backs have stepped up around him where Damon Arnett's playing really well and Sean Wade's playing really well and Jordan Fuller's playing really well means that a lot of times in a secondary when you have that future first-round pick like a Jeff Okuda, I think we really saw this with Denzel Ward a couple years ago where when you have that one really good corner, a lot of times teams are just going to throw up the other corner and try to take advantage of a weak link. But as well as this secondary's playing right now, you don't have that weak link, so Okuda's getting opportunities to make plays on the ball, and now he's really showing he can take advantage.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's there's one other sort of key component that that I don't think has been discussed a ton, but but when you talk to Jeff Okuda and when you hear him just discuss the the improvements that he's made under Jeff Halfley, there's there's sort of just one thing that like that that's just sort of overriding when, when you when you hear him. And that's just confidence, yep. like. It's it. It seems so simple, but you look at a defensive back. I'm not sure there's a position on the uh, on the defense that you need more just play to play confidence in yourself and the ability to bounce back if you give up a five yard gain, a ten yard gain. If you give up anything that the Nets play, you need to snap right back and, and, and get under control. And the way that he talks about Halfley, he just he gets he has so much self belief right now that, that 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 it just translates to his play on the field.
0: Yeah, and we talk about confidence. We talk about a guy with a new coach that's really thriving. I think that's a good segue into talking about Pete Werner because uh, Pete Werner is a guy, uh, Colin, you actually wrote about this on Tuesday, about uh, the death of a bullet and what what we thought was going to be such a big component of this defense with, with Brendan White uh, playing a, a big role in that linebacker safety hybrid role. And really what's happened is, he hasn't played much because he's essentially playing the same position as Pete Werner, and they don't want to take Pete Werner off the field because uh, Pete Werner's played great. Uh, he had a, a hit the other night that uh, uh, made the highlight reels. Uh, I think Jeff Okuda described it as him almost decapitating someone. Uh, he hit him so hard, and, you know, that's that's a guy. I, I know that I, I said it, so I'm just going to bring it up. Uh, this is a guy that I fought last year, got more criticism than he deserved, and I, I'm not saying he played great last year, but I thought, I always fought watching him last year. Yeah, he was out of position sometimes. Yeah, he was part of a linebacker core, but was really struggling, but I really thought he was a guy that, that had the ability to be a great linebacker at Ohio State, and I think now, in a defensive scheme, with greg madison and al washington that's allowing him to play with a lot of confidence that's allowing him to play to his strengths we're seeing why coaches love this guy we're seeing why pete werner is a guy that, that they really view as one of the stars of their defense yeah he's he's sort of the
1: epitomization is that a word yes it is oh man
0: i think <laughs> well it is now
1: um he epitomizes how about that he epitomizes everything that that sort of has gone right with with the with the linebackers. Because listen, we're, we don't need to rehash what happened last year. Everybody knows um, the Billy Davis crew. Uh, but uh, you look at him, Malik Harrison, Baron Browning, tough four, and I think the one thing that stands out about them is just how quickly they react. When like if you look if you go back and you watch some of the handoffs, there there are times where. Where the ball is, the ball is placed into the into the running back's hands, and there's one, two, three linebackers already at the line of scrimmage. They are they they're reacting in a way that they weren't last year, and because you heard the all off season, you heard about how this new defense is going to allow them to to play faster, react faster. But like ultimately, what does that really mean? How does that translate to the field? Well, well, like we've seen it, it's visceral. These guys are these these guys are just they're playing with more instinct, they're playing more instinctively and like in the same way that Jeff Okuda is playing with more confidence. And I think that that like, once again is
0: just a big part of this defense. Another guy who I think had a really good game on Saturday on defense and you highlighted it, Uh, in your piece called The Rewind that you do, your film review piece for 11 Warriors every week. Uh, Robert Landers, a guy who I I think was kind of quiet first four games of the year, probably been overshadowed a little bit by Devon Hamilton and Jay Sean Cornell and Haskell Garrett, but he was a guy who who really showed uh, some good penetration on Saturday. Colin, what did you see from uh, B.B. that really made a big impact on this game?
1: Yeah, I mean, when you think of B.B., like you just think of his quickness, his agility, and get him getting off the ball fast, and that—that's that's really exactly what he what he did on Saturday, and and it's funny because like this whole defensive line, we we had heard throughout the offseason them talk about the depth of the defensive line, but what but what really matters there is like if those kind of players have have limited snaps, and say there's 80 snaps on defense, like Draymond Jones would have played the vast majority of them but instead of someone like Ken they're going to split it between two or three guys they're only going to get 20 30 40 snaps somewhere somewhere in that range um, like you need to make those count and you you need to make those better than if you were actually playing the 50 60 and and that has actually happened this year like like you wonder sometimes if whether that'll actually translate and whether those those small sample sizes they'll actually um, like it'll pay off to have for them to have that kind of rest and it actually has um devon hamilton i thought was really dominant and a little bit overlooked in the in the first few games of the year but this was
0: definitely bb's best game of the season flipping over to the other side of ball gotta talk about justin fields quickly still hasn't thrown an interception has 23 total touchdowns 16 passing seven rushing we keep waiting for him to have a bad game, even a bad throw, a, a make a mistake, some kind of adversity to hit. And through five games, it, it just hasn't happened yet. Uh, this guy's really playing at, at a tremendous level for a first-year starting quarterback. And you you got to give Ryan Day and Mike Yursich a, a lot of credit for that, for uh, the job they've done coaching him since he arrived in January. And uh, Fields, you know, a, a guy who I think right now... Uh, is probably a top four candidate for the Heisman at this point in the year, and you know he keeps he keeps up what he's doing. You know he, he's on track right now to have one of the best seasons an Ohio State quarterback's ever had.
1: Yeah, and and do you remember how candid they were um, in the spring or even sort of the early fall camp when when they were talking about how earlier in the year he it wasn't really clicking for him, and like I don't think that they were lying about that. I think that they could see that raw talent, raw ability, but. He managed to put it together sort of and fall camp is, is sort of just what I've gathered from, from hearing him talk and, and, and hearing other coaches and players talk um, about him. And it's just remarkable. Like, this is a guy in his fifth start, and, and, like, I think he's a legit Heisman candidate. I think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country. And Ohio State just happened to land upon him just out of happenstance in December because Ryan Day had done a really nice job with, with Dwayne Hastings and Dwayne decided to leave after just one year as a starter. And all of a sudden they just fall into two years of Justin Fields. Like, I, I get it that they, that they set themselves up for this by Ryan Day um, having such a good year with, with Dwayne, but man, they could not have found themselves in a better situation.
0: Mentioned the running game earlier, another great game for them. Uh, against Nebraska. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, he had uh, 24 carries for 177 yards. Master Teague, he had 12 carries for 77 yards and two touchdowns. He also had a 28-yard play on a catch. Uh, You add in Justin Fields rushing for 72, Marcus Crowley rushing for uh, 45 on just four carries. He had another long run himself. They had 368 total yards of, of rushing offense. Uh, Buckeyes are currently um, the top seven nationally in both yards per game and yards per carry. Of course, that's not just for runners themselves; it's also that offensive line up front uh, doing an excellent job of opening up holes and paving the way. Uh, I think this rushing offense is a lot better than last year. Uh, I don't I even think... think
1: that's arguable. I, I it's it's no, unbelievable it the difference.
0: No, and 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 I think it's a two-way street here, where I think certainly having that running Fred at quarterback helps the running game as a whole but i also think the how well the running backs are playing and how well the offensive line is playing in that running game is a big reason why justin fields is having so much success because they're taking a lot of pressure off his plate oh yeah no it's it's they're all sort of working together i mean
1: the one play that that really stood out from this past game is i think master t i think it was a 28 yard run that he had in the second quarter and if you watched it um he handed justin fields handed the ball off uh to master teague and he sort of carried out the fake as if he was doing sort of a play action uh pass and the and the linebacker just ran with justin fields as, as he was basically uh, spying on him but master teague ran where the linebacker used to stand and like that is literally just justin fields legs taking him out taking a defender out of the play um and allowing Master Teague just more open space like that. Those are the ways that they work together. But, I mean, you mentioned the line. Uh, Joshua Halaby, I guess that they had known a little bit more than uh, than we knew that, that he was going to end up as, as the starting uh, um, right tackle for Ohio State. But earned player of the game honors as, as a backup offensive lineman, fifth-year offensive lineman. I mean,
0: the Buckeyes are lucky to have him. Absolutely. And you got to give him a lot of credit because he's a guy who's, been practicing at left tackle. You know, our, our thought going into the game, and, and this is what they presented on their depth chart, was that if Brandon Bowen didn't play due to his injury, that Nicholas Frere was going to step in at that right tackle spot. And, and I think we were asked about this in the question, so we'll, we'll talk about this a little more later uh, as well in terms of uh, petit Frere and where that's worth reading into at all. But just to talk about Alby for a minute, you know, this is a guy. And Ryan Day made a point of this this week too, uh, about he's a fifth year senior. He's a backup. Surely he wants to be a starter. he He could have gone to the transfer portal. he could have he could' have looked to 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 leave uh, not be a starter this year. He could have hung his head, but instead, you know he he's he's embraced his role as that third tackle. And when he had an opportunity that they really needed him to step up, that's exactly what he did, and, and and you know I I I remember uh you know before of a game I, I tweeted out that it looked like alibi was going to start, and immediately my mentions were full of oh no what are we doing, uh, you know people were were, were calling him a, a turnstile, and uh, at least one tweet, and, and honestly I think that was unfair to him because I actually thought he played really well last year in the Rose Bowl, and, and I think he's a guy that the coaches. Uh, like and respect, and, and and do have a good amount of trust in, and you know I think it's a matter of you know Fayer Munford and Brandon Bowen are ahead of him on the def chart right now, and 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 that's why he isn't starting for this team. But you know he stepped in a tough spot. You know rewatching a game, I saw him make some really good run blocks, uh, and we'll see how things play out. We we don't know what Brandon Bowen's injury is or what the severity of it is, so we don't know how long he's going to be out, but. Uh, certainly, a good sign uh, with Bowen's status being uncertain, uh, that Alabi was able to step in and play as well as he did.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be candid,
0: like he's someone who
1: before the season, I was, I was wondering, like I, I just wanted to be inside his head, like why, why did he decide to stay at Ohio State? Because if he, if he decided to graduate, graduate transfer, like he could have had a starting job somewhere else. He, he, or he, he could have for uh, sure. But if you're a fifth year senior who's started in the rose bowl at ohio state you're you can start at another good program um and i guess this is this is sort of one. this might be one of the reasons why he stayed if you look at thayer munford is he got banged up a lot last year he ended up not being able to play in the rose bowl uh we know brandon bowen's injury history it is really uh nice for ohio state to know that they have him and just like one little anecdote that i remember um when i was taught when i i remember i asked tyler friday um before the season started who was the most difficult offensive lineman to go up against at ohio state and he said josh allaby and i like in the moment I, i was i was pretty shocked because it's not too often you hear about oh the toughest guy is the backup left tackle (laughs) <laughs> That's right. not usually the guy who springs to mind. And I asked him why, and he said he's, he's just got this really strong first punch. Um, I thought that was interesting, and he, really, he, he showed off why uh, Friday has that opinion.
0: Last thing to wrap up this game. I think right now certainly all signs point to Ohio State being really, really good, but there's still questions about how good is Nebraska. And has Ohio State really played anybody? And you know, so, sometimes these conversations are, are you know, it's kind of hard to get a definitive answer on these things because if Ohio, if it was a closer game, people would have more respect for Nebraska. Uh, they blow out Nebraska, play about as well as they possibly can, and now Nebraska is just a bad team that that they beat up on. But uh, Nebraska was a team. I, I do think. The hype that they came into the season with, uh, potential Big Ten West uh, champion, I, I don't think they're that level of team. Uh, I, I think they're not nearly as good as I thought they were going to be going into the year. Uh, and the rest of the year will will show w- what this win was. If, if Nebraska plays well for the rest of the year, uh, this win's going to really help their resume. If Nebraska uh, tanks for the rest of the year, uh this win's not going to look as impressive anymore but what's your bigger takeaway from saturday's game how good ohio state is or how well, not good nebraska is
1: it's how good ohio state is um like i i think yeah i think last week that i i i was pretty clear that i i thought ohio state i thought ohio state was going to win pretty handily um and and part of it was that maybe Nebraska wasn't as good as some people thought but but more so it's that this Ohio State team is really i just pulled up I pulled up last year's schedule's it's just it's like sometimes it's good to remind yourself that like Ohio state no matter how talented it is, it always like it it typically seems to struggle like once twice three times a season against teams that it it just has way more talent than it's like just like let me read you some of these scores. So Oregon State they beat them 77-31. Rutgers was a beatdown 52 to uh, 3. TCU 40-28, Tulane another beatdown 49-6, and then Indiana 49-26, Minnesota 30-14, obviously lost to Purdue. Nebraska, they won by 5. The Michigan State game where Drew Chrisman was the player of the game 26-6. Uh they beat Maryland by one. Like those are a lot those those are some of the games that like, I I don't know that Maryland last year was any better than Nebraska is this year, yet they beat them by one. Like, those are the kind of games that, to me, um, Ohio State has, at times, at times they've dominated, but also at times they've struggled. And to have, to have this many just beatdowns in a row, to me, it matters.
0: Yeah, I think we can sum it up with this. This was the first time since World War One that – Ohio State had beat or I think it was I don't know if it was Ohio State or any Big Ten team had beaten an opponent by 40 plus points four games in a row so this is a type of dominance that we just typically don't see uh, from Ohio State or from any team in college football Uh, and so to be able to play at, at such a high level week in and week out we'll see if it continues but the fact that they've started out with this level of dominance is nothing short of impressive mm-hmm. no i agree with that um you want to talk uh, michigan state yeah i think we should now of course the question is are we going to see a more competitive game at, th- this, at this point we should just say no just just like take <laughs> our odds on that yeah i mean I, I i'd have to say i'd i'd be surprised if michigan state uh, beat Ohio State this week, uh, and I think <laughs> yeah, I, a,
1: I would be surprised to
0: <laughs> I think there's a good chance that this could be another blowout, but this is a team that's played spoiler before. I mean, we look at. Uh, 2015, that was a team that was supposed to be the most talented team in Ohio State history. They lost to Michigan State. Think of 2013, uh, Urban Meyer hadn't lost a game in two years, and, and Michigan State beat him in the Big Ten Championship game. So so this is a team, Mark D'Antonio's team, always plays Ohio State tough, uh, and especially on the defensive side of the ball. You look at their stats on defense, uh, second in, in rushing yards allowed per carry this year, 4th in rushing yards allowed per game, 6th in total yards allowed per play, 7th in total yards allowed per game, 14th in points allowed per game. So this is the best defense that Ohio State has played this year. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, But again, we said the same thing about Nebraska's offense last week, and we saw how that went. So uh, the question is, uh, is this defense good enough to, to really give this Ohio State offense problems for the first time this year?
1: Yeah, I think that. I mean, that is, that is the number one thing. It, it's it's so funny because it really is similar to the Nebraska game. Just just the sides of the ball are flipped. Because in the Nebraska game, you sort of wanted to see how this how this Ohio State defense that had been so dominant would look going up against a more talented, faster offense. And now it's just flipped the other way, and, and Ohio State, like like you said, Justin Fields hasn't thrown an interception. He's looked really, really solid. Um, the running game and the offensive line last last week especially was just, just unbelievable. And now they're going up against what arguably might be the best defense
0: uh, in the Big Ten, I would say, other than Ohio State. I think one player that we definitely have to watch on Michigan State's defense is uh, Kenny Willickis, defensive end. He had 13 total tackles and 3.5 and tackles for loss against Ohio State last year. Uh, he leads all Big Ten defensive linemen in total tackles this year. Ryan Day said watching the film, it feels like he's in on every play. He was the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year last year. I think Chase Young is probably the frontrunner for that award right now. Uh, but this guy might be the best defensive end in the conference, not named Chase Young. Uh, he really beat up on Isaiah Prince last year. Uh, we, we talked about uh, Josh Alby before. Uh, we don't know if it'll be him or Bowen this week, but uh, no matter who's playing at those tackle spots, uh, this is going to be a test for him.
1: Yeah, I, I think I said it last week that I like the the number one thing that I'm looking for in the offense is is when this offensive line faces. A really good defensive front. I want to see what happens, um, and this is it. This this is what I've sort of been waiting for, because I look across it. Um, I think Thayer Munford and Jonah Jackson on the left side have been some of the best linemen in the conference right now. I think they've been really impressive. Um, Josh Myers has been really solid. Uh, Wyatt Davis has been pretty solid too, and, and obviously Albe had um, a great game on Saturday too, but they haven't faced anybody like uh, Kenny whose last name I mispronounce every single time so I'm not even going to try it this Believe time. It's Willikus. Okay. Believe it's Willickis. Okay, it's Willickis. They haven't faced anyone quite like him and though him and, and just the entirety of the of the Spartans defensive front I just think that that's it's such a sound unit and every single year it is and every single year it's it's a great test of just what exactly Ohio State has up front that the, we're going to learn a ton in the same way that we learned a lot about the defense this past week.
0: Yeah, it's not just Kenny. Uh, Raquan Williams is a really good defensive tackle for them. Uh, Joe Bacci is one of the best middle linebackers in the country. So, Former Ohio uh, State fan. Yeah, that is this is true. A, uh, a Northeast Ohio native did not get an offer from Ohio State. Wasn't that highly rated a recruit, but uh, has really become a star at Michigan State. So this is for sure the best defense Ohio State has faced this year, especially the run defense. But I'm kind of getting some flashbacks to two years ago when we were saying the same things about them. And then Mike Weber shredded them and Ohio state scored a lot of points. Uh, I, I have to say, I will not be surprised if we see the same thing again on Saturday.
1: No, I mean, nothing, <laughs> there is no feat of dominance. This Ohio state team could produce at this point. That would surprise me. Are you, are you in the same camp? Uh,
0: we'll just stick with this week for now. I mean, I, I, I if, if, you're going to tell me this team's going to score like 60 points on Wisconsin or Alabama? Okay. Or something. Well, I was. I don't know. I wasn't going to
1: go crazy like
0: that. Yeah, I don't know that I'm on board with that yet. But I, I do think that, uh, you know, I, I think Iver is possible. I, I do think it's possible that Michigan State's defense uh, does give Ohio State problems in a way we haven't seen this year. We saw, we saw that last year when. Uh, if you look at last year, you were talking about that schedule. The Michigan State game was kind of the anomaly last year because the defense actually played really well in that game, uh, but they were going up against a really lousy offense. Uh, but but Ohio State's offense didn't do a whole lot in that game. Uh, it was probably one of their worst offensive games of the year, and it was kind of a one game where Ohio State wasn't carried by its its offense. So I I do think that you know this this. Michigan state will present more resistance than any other team has this year. But I do think the way Ohio state's offense is clicking, uh, I agree with you. I think it's going to come down to that offensive line. I think that's really the key is how do they hold up against the front like this. But if they can keep clicking, uh, I I think fields and his receivers are going to be able to make plays. And I think as long as JK and master are getting some holes, uh, I think they're going to be able to make, make plays too. So I, There's a lot of reason to be confident in Ohio State, uh, but this is certainly going to be a revealing game for the offense. We talked about the other side of the ball. We talked about it last year. Uh, This was an offense that was held to six points by a lousy Ohio State defense last year. Now, Brian Lewerke is playing better this year. Last year, he had a shoulder injury going into the Ohio State game. He was awful in that game. They brought in Rocky Lombardi off the bench. He wasn't much better. Uh, Except Uh, for that
1: one drive where
0: I think he looked like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he had one really good drive, and then I think he threw a couple picks, and they ended up taking him out of the game. Uh, So uh, Michigan State, this is not a scary offense. Uh, I do think they're a little better than last year. I think laworke has been playing at a higher level. Uh, Elijah Collins has stepped up at running back. Uh, He's become their their feature back, and, and he's played pretty well this year. Uh, Daryl Stewart at wide receiver, uh, he's one of the leading receivers in the Big Ten right now. So they've got a few solid players, but overall, uh, you look at this Michigan State team, there's not a lot of scary playmakers out there. Uh, They're not an explosive or particularly fast offense. Uh, The way Ohio State's defense has been playing, uh, uh, unless they don't show up, unless they get out-schemed, uh, I think Ohio State's defense should be in pretty good shape against this matchup. All
1: right. I, I, I'm so uninterested in, in the Ohio State defense versus Michigan State offense matchup based on uh, just past history with these two teams that, that let me just let me just throw this out. Will, will Brian Lewerke have a better stat line than he did in 2017 against Ohio State when he went 18 for 30 sits with 131 yards, two interceptions, three sacks, 10 rushes for two yards?
0: I'm gonna say yes, only because that's a, a tough stat line to do worse than. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes, but I don't think it's gonna be that much better. I I'm gonna have to.
1: All right, I'll I'll say worse then. I'll say worse. I, <laughs> All I, right. I, I think this deep. I I I don't know. I I haven't seen anything about this defense that's that's even gonna that that would remotely make me think that Brian Lewerke will do anything.
0: We'll remember and revisit. Yeah, we're gonna Next replay I, this when he throws 400 yards. We but. will have to say we were wrong last week. I we, think we both went with the over on Adrian Martinez's passing <laughs> we, yards. Last we week. were very, very. He wrong. had 47 passing yards, and I think I actually went with the under on 75 rushing yards, and he had 81. Now most of us came on a 56 yard play, but uh, we were wrong about that. I think I did. I think I went under on the total touchdowns. He had zero touchdowns, so. Uh, I did hit that one, but uh, definitely the uh, the passing yards one. Just a little bit off on that slightly, one. Slightly, slightly. So, Buckeyes are favored to win this game by 20 points right now. Uh, Spartans have a history of playing spoiler against the Buckeyes. Uh, are we in for a more competitive game this week, or are we in for another blowout? Um, I'm not going to say it. this game is going to be
1: competitive, I, I just can't, just based on what I've seen, just just straight eye tests alone. I understand that this is this is going to be by far the best defense that they face, especially their best defensive front. Um, but just, are you are you riding a motorcycle back there? Uh, one of my neighbors has a motorcycle, <laughs> so yeah. You let me up. Uh, I love it. Um, no, I, I there's nothing about this that the, about this game that 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 makes me think that that ohio state's primed for an upset now can it happen yeah it, it obviously could happen but the way that the way that ohio state's defense played against uh, nebraska i don't think that michigan state's offense worries me at all and it really comes down to me like can Ohio if Ohio State's offensive line that we've seen just gets totally overwhelmed by Michigan State's defensive front and like I've said if if some team can force Justin Fields to make throws that he just hasn't been forced to make yet like that's what I'm waiting for and I, and I don't think it's going to be this week
0: yeah 20 feels like it should be a huge spread against Michigan State but yep. playing at home night game environment uh I think, I think the Buckeyes are going to cover. I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick them to cover. I, I I think that the offense is going to overcome that really good defense, and they're going to have a big game. And I, I don't see Michigan State scoring any more than 10 or 14 points with a, with a mediocre offense against a defense that's been elite so far this year. So I think, I think it's going to be a big win for the Buckeyes. Uh, that's my guess. Uh, we'll see if I'm wrong. But uh, it's just hard, to, hard to pick against them right now, uh, as well as they've been playing. Yeah, and if I pick the under for Brian Lewerke's stat line, I can't say it's going to be a close game. <laughs> yeah, that is very true because uh, Michigan State's uh, rushing offense has not been great, and Ohio State's rushing defense has been great. So uh, I wouldn't expect a ton of yards on the ground for the Spartans. Uh, Mentioned being a home night game, uh, wearing the alternate uniforms. Uh, Should be a big environment in Ohio State. It's a big recruiting weekend uh, for the Buckeyes. They're expected to have a lot of visitors this weekend. Uh, Maybe a few guys who who could be thinking about pulling the trigger on a commitment. Uh, And, you know, home environment, you know, Ohio Stadium, I think we'd both agree, uh, compared to some of the other places we go, is not always the most impressive environment, despite the amount of fans that Ohio State packs in. But, there's a lot of excitement around this team right now. I, I have a feeling shoe's going to be rocking uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, if you
1: could, if you just go for the random Ohio State-Illinois game, um, like it'll have its awesome moments. Uh, when I'm sure when the band comes out that first time, if you see them, I, I, it's always really cool. I mean, early in the first half when they start to get rolling, it, 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 there's always a good atmosphere. But by the second half, it sort of peters out i agree with you though blackout night game michigan state it's it's sort of got everything in ohio state's favor
0: we're going to get to your questions in just a couple minutes one more thing i want to talk about before we get to those uh the big news in college sports this week uh california uh signing into law a bill on monday that will allow student athletes to receive benefits for name in, name image and likeness uh, Basically, the bill uh, prevents schools from punishing athletes for receiving compensation uh, for their name, image, and likeness. And it also uh, prevents the NCAA from uh, banning, banning athletes from California schools uh, for name, image, and likeness. Uh, so there's certainly a lot of legal battles ahead there. Uh, but you know, Gene Smith, Ohio State's athletic director, he came out and decided to address it in really an impromptu press conference on Tuesday. Uh, he's leading a working group with the NCAA right now uh, that is due to issue a report on October 29 uh, to the NCAA's Board of Governors uh, about name, image, and likeness, and uh, I think the writing is really on the wall now in, in a way that it hasn't been before, that, that change is coming to the NCAA, change, change is inevitable. Uh, there's certainly going to be legal battles. We'll see how enforceable this California law is, but there's a lot of other states following their lead right now. and proposing similar laws and if if those become widespread the ncaa is not going to have a choice but to change its policy so colin just i want to get your perspective you know how do you see this playing out and what do you think is the best way for the ncaa to address this i mean i think
1: i think the ending just sort of at the right now this point it, it just feels from the outside inevitable like there just feels like there's so much pressure that that at some point in the next year, some point in the next few months, we're gonna hear that that somehow athletes will be allowed to make money for their likeness. I just can't can, do you see that not happening? Like what would no, have to happen I, for that not to happen?
0: No, I, 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 I don't I think the only way that it's not gonna happen is if the NCAA can successfully challenge this in court, and a court rules that n- this state law is not enforceable, But the NCAA has the unilateral right to enforce its policies. Uh, but but just based on what we've heard the last couple of days, I'm, I don't pretend to be a legal expert, so there's people who could explain this a lot better than me, and that's why we'll only talk about it for another minute here, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I, it does seem like the ball is really rolling in a way that it hasn't uh, before toward this being a thing, and and and, and personally, I, I I think that's a good thing for college athletics. I think it's something that uh, athletes have, should have been able to do for a long time. We're we're not talking about pay for play here. We're not talking about schools. Was directly. that a subtweet of Gene Smith? No, no, it, it's 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 not. It's it's just a response to. Uh, some of the mischaracterizations that I think are out there about this that uh, I, I think people you know f- people always want to equate it with uh, if you pay the football players what do you pay everybody else but I, I think really what this is looking at is guys you know being able to use their market ability a, a Justin Fields a JK Dobbins a Chase Young being able to profit off of how marketable they are as Ohio State athletes and yeah there's a lot of questions regarding it uh certainly I think you look at you know boosters of schools and 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 how much will they be in cahoots with coaches uh in terms of recruiting guys and uh, there's a ton of questions you know Gene Smith's big thing he talked about on Tuesday is he thinks it needs to be regulated and I think it needs to be regulated too I think The NCAA needs to figure out what regulations it can put in place so that it does protect their athletes. It does prevent this from turning into an all-out bidding war on the recruiting trail for every single player. But I do think it's inevitable. I also think we know that a lot of that stuff's happening already, whether people catch it or not. Uh, So I I do think this is the right move uh, for college athletics. And I think if you're the NCAA, their focus now needs to be on how do we regulate this, what do we do uh, to try to protect athletes against people who might have the wrong intentions here instead of just trying to fight it all together because uh, change is coming whether they like it or not. Yeah, I mean, the thing with this is, like, we could have a conversation
1: about this for three hours. Absolutely. And this is the... This is the number one conversation started right now, I think, in, in college athletics. I'll just, like, like this is, like, semi-related, but I always just thought it was interesting when I was a student reporter, and, like, I got a monthly stipend, and then if there was always this thing where if Ohio State won the national championship, uh, then the Lantern would sort of put all their stories together and sort of sell it in a book, and I would get a cut of the profits, and I was a student, and that was allowed, and... There'd be the players in the book who who are uh, my classmates, and then they wouldn't have made any money. And I was just, you know, I always just had that in the back of my head. Like, that's a a little weird.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the the reality is, I I agree with that. I think we can both agree with it, is we get paid to write about these athletes. So it is kind of weird. We, as full grown adults, getting paid to write about these athletes but they can't get paid themselves. I, I've always, I've always struggled a little bit with that distinction and you know I think when it comes to fairness the, the real world isn't fair I mean the real the real world isn't fair. College athletics uh, isn't fair No it isn't and and, and, and when you hear the conversations about competitive balance uh, the reality is it's, it's not balanced. You can already look at Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson and and LSU and Georgia and Oklahoma, and and those schools are the ones that are getting the top recruits every year. I don't think this is going to change that. Uh, I I, I think, yes, you might be able to say the rich get richer, but the gap is already huge. The gap is already huge between the power programs and everybody else. And it's not as if kids... That are gonna go to Ohio State now because of the opportunities that might be available there. We're gonna go to a max school before this. It, it's still gonna be uh, the top recruits going to the top schools, and, and and there might be a few schools that become bigger players as a result of this. And maybe there's a few schools that go the other way if they don't have as big a fan bases or they don't, they're not in as big a markets, but. Ultimately, I don't really see that being a big issue, and I also think, uh, you know, Josh Joshua Perry, who does some stuff for Eleven Warriors, uh, he he was actually asked about it in our Perry on Point series, and I thought he gave a really good response about it, and he said it himself. You know, we're talking about a starting linebacker for the Ohio State football team who went on to play in the NFL, and he said, I don't think I would have made a lot of money off it. Uh, or even a couple autograph sessions, and and I think that's the reality. I I think we're really talking about a select group of players here, the the Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Chase Young-type players that are really going to have the opportunity to make uh, thousands of dollars off this. I think for the most part... You, you would not be talking about a ton of money for a lot of guys, maybe some autograph sessions, maybe some small events, but I, I don't think we're talking about something that is going to be radical change in terms of, you know, guys suddenly making NFL money to play college football. I, I think you're just talking about uh, the opportunity for those real stars in college sports to be able to, to market themselves. And to me, I think there could actually be some positive benefits for college athletics too, just in the fact that you think about guys, you know, being in a hurry to go to the NFL. I think if these guys have the opportunity to make money, uh, if they're a star at their college and they have the opportunity to make some money in that role, but maybe they're not quite ready for the NFL, you might actually get some guys who stay in school another year because they're able to make some money while playing college football and if they if they think that playing college football is going to help another year is going to help them in the long run they might be more inclined to stay for that extra year if they're at least able to make some money doing it
1: I feel like we should move on, or else we're going to talk about this for the next three hours. Yeah,
0: yeah, this is something that most likely will come up again at some point in the off season when there's not football games going on, and we can talk about it a lot more then. And the football team's really good right now, so we should probably get back to talking about that. But did just want to address that. We've got a lot of questions, so we're going to get right into those now. Uh, first question comes from South Carolina Buckeye, who always asks a lot of questions. Uh, talks to me on Twitter a lot as well, so. Thank you for getting your questions in again. And the first question is a good one. It's, if you guys had an AP vote, give us your top six. Uh, I'm going to say it right now. I would have Ohio State number one. I also acknowledge that there might be exposure bias there because I have seen Ohio State play every single play of every single game. I've rewatched every single Ohio State game. I don't think I've watched Alabama play a single snap live this year. But when you look at the numbers, when you look at how dominant Ohio State has been, there has not been a more dominant team in college football this year than Ohio State. So I'd put Ohio State number one based off what we've seen. I'd put Alabama number two. Uh, After that, I would go with Georgia at number three. I'd go with LSU at number four. I'd go with Oklahoma number five. And the big dropper for me after this past week is Clemson. And I I, I still think Clemson uh, is as talented as any team in college football. I still think uh, they're a national championship caliber team but seeing the way they struggled against North Carolina uh, the way they they've kind of slept walked for the first uh, half of a season uh, right now I'd, I'd have to put them uh, down at number six no that makes sense I
1: think that there's a there's a I mean everyone talks about it. there's a clear top seven Um and what's interesting is, is I'm not, like I think that it's interesting to debate it right now. I, I think that it'll sort of naturally shake itself out. It's I mean the top the top seven just not in any order is Oklahoma, Auburn, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama. Is there, is there any debate even right now? I feel
0: like that there's that there's sort of a clear drop off after that. Yeah, I mean I think I think you know I'd put Wisconsin at eight. And and I think you know, they're in that conversation. I think they lost a little bit of steam this past week, struggling against Northwestern. Uh, I think a week ago they would have been more in that top seven conversation. But right now, I would have Auburn seven, and I'd have Wisconsin 8 Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, just me personally, like
1: like you said, like I have just watched so much more Ohio State than every single other team combined, and having seen Ohio State just. Watch every single game, covered them the past, uh, what is it, three, four years. Um, like, this is the best Ohio State team I think I've seen. And, it I like, having covered some really, really good Ohio State teams and this being the best one, it's just hard for me not to put them number one. But at the same time, like, like I honestly just haven't given this a ton of thought. Just right now, just – I think Ohio State right now is playing at a level that I've never seen them play up um, since I've covered them the past three, four years. And I, I mean, I would just, just, I test alone, like this, if there's another team playing better than them right now, I know that there are some teams that have better wins than Ohio State. I, I, I feel, I feel just
0: biased picking them number one, but I, i I would pick them number one. I just would. Another question from South Carolina Buckeye that I like, because I do think this is a good space uh, for us to, for us to talk about life on a beat a little bit, if got, if people have question about that and. He asked us, "Do you guys get to enjoy a trip to a place like Lincoln, or is it all business?" Uh, and what I would say is that that varies a lot based on uh, circumstances of, of, of the game. In yeah, a, this lot, ca- a lot, a <laughs> lot. In this case, we actually did because we got we flew in on Friday afternoon. We had a direct flight into Lincoln, and then the game wasn't until Saturday night. So we actually did get to enjoy Lincoln a little bit. Uh, you know, got to get some good meals. Uh, got to go out a little bit. Uh, in this case, we did. Now there are other games where we where we don't. Um, there's there's a lot of times where you know, especially if it's a longer drive, like we are driving to Rutgers this year. Uh, that's a game where it's more. You know, we're driving in. And we're going to the game, and then we're we're driving back. Yeah, is- I
1: mean, just that schedule is we'll we'll drive Friday. We'll probably get in sometime Friday evening. I assume that'll probably be a noon or three thirty game. So it's not I hope like, so. I Brian, I, I really hope so. I just I was hoping noon, but I threw in three thirty just in case, just because I can't I couldn't imagine the other uh, the other option. But so you, so you sort of you don't have time before the game to do much. And then after the game, you're just gonna you're gonna do your work, and then Sunday you're gonna leave. So like
0: in that circumstance, like there's there's no time to explore. So yeah, it does vary a lot, but we'll say uh, did enjoy Lincoln a lot. Uh, actually, got to see it more. I went two years ago, uh, but two two years ago when I went, uh, we flew into Omaha. Uh, our flight times were. Uh, it was a later flight Friday, flew up very early Sunday, uh, so really didn't get to see it as much. So I, didn't, I did enjoy uh, getting to see Lincoln. Uh, honestly, after being there uh, this time, I'd have to say it's one of my favorite Big Ten cities. So uh, shout-out shout out to Lincoln. Not a very good game by the football team, but really enjoyed the city. And also want to give a shout-out to the Nebraska fans uh, because they stayed for the entire game. Uh, in a 48 to 17, their team was getting blown out, and that stadium was still mostly full in the fourth quarter. So, got to give a shout out to the Cornhusker fans. Uh, really cool to see that kind of loyalty and, and seeing fans uh, sticking it out for their team, even in a uh, really tough night. Uh, moving on to the next question here from Silver Sniper. Uh, he is with Colin. He says "gif" is pronounced "gift" without the "t." So, uh, we'll give you that one for now, That's Colin. That's fact. Um, But the question is, and I like this question, it's would you have taken a second year with Dwayne Haskins, assuming Justin Fields would have gone elsewhere, or would you keep what we have now, two years of Justin Fields, uh, and allowing Jack Miller to learn the system for a year before being handed the keys? We'll see how all that plays out, to be completely honest with that. But uh, in in terms of would I take another year of Dwayne Haskins or two years of Justin Fields, I'm taking two years of Justin Fields. I probably would have hedged that answer a little more five weeks ago, but seeing how well Justin Fields is playing right now and knowing that he still got the whole rest of his season and next season with Justin Fields, I don't think you could ask for a better situation than that. No, this is a
1: very clear answer to me. I mean, just, just, let's just think of the the um, what, else, what would have happened had... Dwayne stayed. I imagine that. I don't know. You, you just never know what maybe Tate would have transferred. Um, still, maybe Matthew Baldwin would have transferred. Maybe you'd be in a similar situation where you end up with sort of a Gunner Hoke, uh, Chris Chuganoff situation, and then he leaves, and you're left with a freshman quarterback and Jack Miller, and then Gunner Hoke as a, um, would he be a fifth year senior by that point? I believe. Yes. Um, like I don't think that that's necessarily an optimal situation. Yeah, I, I don't even I don't even think it's close. I think that you have two, two The way that Fields is playing right now, I understand how how great Haskins was last year as a passer, but man, uh, like I, I don't want to say it right now. Like it just w- feels weird saying it, but feel Fields is pretty. He's he's producing at a level pretty close
0: to Haskins, just in a totally different way. Since we're on that, I'm going to skip ahead quickly to a question from Iowa Buckeyes. And he asked us, Forgive me for asking the forbidden question, but are we ju- one Justin Fields injury from seeing the wheels fall off? In that situation, does Gunner Hoke pull a JT Barrett and jump Chris Chuganov on the depth chart? Talk me off the ledge, please. I don't know if I can. Yeah, buddy, <laughs> there, buddy there is no talking off that ledge. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't know that I can. Uh, Justin Fields is fantastic. Uh, and he's playing great, uh, but I think you better pray that he stays healthy because uh, Gunner Hoke hasn't even lost his black stripe yet. Uh, I don't think I don't think that either of those guys can be a J.T. Barrett or a Cardale Jones. I, I, I just don't think so. Um, you know, as good as this team is, uh, could they still win most of their games with a backup quarterback? I think so, uh, but could they be? the national championship caliber team, if they are right now, Justin Fields, uh, I'm sorry, I really don't think so. Nope, they wouldn't be. All right, let's move back to Hovnat. He asks us your thoughts on the West race and who is the main threat now for Ohio State in the East. Uh, you said it last week, and now I'm going to agree with you. I think Penn State is now the main threat for Ohio State in the East, seeing as well as they played against Maryland. And I think the way that they play stylistically uh, compared to uh, Wisconsin. I, I think Penn State is now the biggest threat for Ohio State in the entire Big Ten. Uh, helps that you get them at home, but getting them one week before of uh, a rivalry game against Michigan, uh, I think Penn State, that's probably the team I'd circle right now on the schedule, is if any team's going to beat Ohio State, and to follow up from last week, I will say that right now, uh, I, I'd feel more confident about a 12-0 and season for Ohio State than I did last week just because of how good they're playing. Uh, but I think Penn State is probably the team that I'd circle right now as the biggest threat, certainly in the East. Uh, in the West, I'm still going to say Wisconsin, but I, I do think is an interesting team too. Uh, I think that's a team... Uh, if you look at teams that aren't on a regular season schedule, but maybe could pop up in a Big Ten championship game, uh, I think that would be an interesting matchup there.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, just out of pure storylines, I would. I, I don't know if Ohio State fans would love to would love Iowa, <laughs> but I I would love to see that that rematch after uh, what happened in 2017. But yeah, I mean. I, there's, there's no reason for me to change my pick on, on who's the biggest threat to Ohio State in the East. I, I still think it's Penn State. Um, and I think they're the biggest threat on the, on the schedule as it remains right now. Um, I think I would, uh, right now I'm still, I would still pick Wisconsin to win the West, uh, but like secretly I would love to see an Ohio State-Iowa
0: Big Ten championship. Brooklyn Buckeye asks us about the I-formation that Nebraska ran last week. Uh, and they actually had some success with that for a few plays. Then Ryan Day called a timeout, uh, actually put a fourth linebacker on the field and Justin Hilliard. And then the next play, uh, Jeff Okuda intercepted a pass. And then Nebraska abandoned that. And he's asking, is that something offenses could exploit in the future? And why did Nebraska abandon it so quickly? Well, he kind of answered his own question because, as he said they were down free scores on their next possession. I think that's why Nebraska abandoned it was because uh, they needed to pass the ball because they were they were trailing. Um, and you know, is it something that offenses could exploit in the future? That's a good question. Um, I, I I think the thing with with that, and I think I think Greg Madison said it himself after the game that. Uh, it was even Madison and half. I don't remember. You might remember, actually, Colin, because I think you talked to them after the game. But I think one of them said that wasn't something that they were expecting to see in the Yeah, Nebraska, they, they, so. both,
1: they both actually said it.
0: Yeah, so they were caught off guard. Ryan Day actually made a really smart decision there, calling a timeout, getting them back to the sideline and regrouping. And then once they did that, they, fig- they, they figured it out. Uh, is it something teams could exploit? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I know this. If I'm an offensive coordinator right now, I'm looking for any little possible thing I can throw at this defense if I'm going to try to beat Ohio State because uh, they've they've been pretty dominant in every single game. So I think that my takeaway from from Nebraska
1: running the I formation is not necessarily that... This I formation, these runs, these specific runs, is something that defenses can exploit. Like, sure, might that be something that another team tries? Yes, and I think it should be. Like, like if something works against the defense, there's no reason not to try it. Um, but my my real takeaway is that like something that works against the that Ohio State defense thus far, like literally no team has gashed them yet. But 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 things that work are things that Ohio State's defense just really hasn't seen yet or they're, 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 they're these soft spots in their zone.'re they're, they're these we, we really haven't seen a team um, attack them in a way that Ohio State expects to attack them and win. I think it's these misdirections, anything that gets Ohio State out of playing how Ohio State wants to play. and that's sort of my takeaway from from that specifically
0: we're going to be honest with you guys we did run into some technical difficulties while talking about this question so if you catch that it's spliced together there we tried to uh make the best of it uh putting together two two different recordings but uh we're already pretty deep into the show so let's keep rolling on for your questions <laughs> Listen, here
1: uh, yeah i can't believe we made it so long without something drastic yeah. like
0: that yeah now we don't know the time so now we might really go along so we got to uh rapid fire for some of these but uh Tampa Tom asks us: difficult to criticize any position group, but what group is the strongest and weakest on the team? And quarterback cannot be weakest based on lack of depth. Yeah, it's pretty tough. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's just, tough for both. It really it is. is. It is like it, 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 like I was thinking about it. Uh, just as as a writer, one of the things I would probably typically do next week would be. Uh, a report card type piece because it's halfway into the season and it's a bye week but I was thinking about it and I'd be giving out a lot of A's because uh, <laughs> it's just hard to crit- you know maybe that'll change this week but right now it's 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 hard to downgrade just about any position group right now because they're all playing so well yeah I mean just whew, just try like I like I think about ooh all right so
1: I think defensive tackles are playing really well well you know I think that I mean, Justin Fields is obviously playing pretty well, and well, I mean, the running backs are playing well, the offensive line's playing well, the tight ends are sort of a little underrated right now. Um, who's best? Who's, who's who's performing the strongest right now? Um,
0: do you have an obvious answer? <laughs> because to me, there's no obvious one. No, there 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 really isn't. I mean, I yeah, there there really isn't. I mean, I've been. Yeah, it's just hard to say. Like, I say, like if there's probably a position group that's impressed me the most, just based on their development from last year and just how much talent I think they You're have, I'd probably... I was going to say the secondary. Interesting. But then I'd also say, you know, if we're allowed to include depth here, I think probably their weakest depth right now is at safety because losing Isaiah Pryor and the, the guys they have playing, we saw what happened late in the game against Nebraska where Josh Proctor got hurt and they had to put Jordan Fuller back in with the second team defense, which means they they really only have two guys at that position right now. So that's probably the weakest position of an quarterback in is terms it, of depth. Isn't that but,
1: great? Like that the fact that their weakest position right now is that they don't have a third string safety. Yeah, I
0: mean it's, it's just, <laughs> that's where they're at. And again. Uh, will a position group maybe emerge as the weakest here as the season progresses? Maybe, yeah. but it's just it's just hard for me to say right now. And I know that's a total cop out answer, but I just don't really have a good. answer. All right,
1: I'll just go weakest, and this is I'm sure that this will be someone's strongest because this is the thing about this Ohio State team is there is no true weakest. I'll I'll just say, like, uh, I don't need I'm re- wide receivers. Interesting.
0: I'd, I'd be I, but very, but that, that very is, hard.
1: Yeah. That is, we're talking about a group yeah. that as KJ Hill, who's going to break the all-time uh, receptions record. Chris Olave, who's looked like a future star. Garrett Wilson, who's looked like a yeah, future I, star. I mean,
0: I don't know um, what I could get on board of that one, to be completely honest with you. But,
1: well, well, here's the thing. Like, l-
0: pick one else because you're going to yeah, have a great player. Yeah, I mean, a, I mean I'd... Again, I, I don't think it's fair to them because I just don't think the offense utilizes them. But I'd have to say tight ends because I think they're making the least impact of any position group. And again, I don't think that's fair to them because I think they have four guys if they trust to play there right now. And I think the offense just isn't set up well uh, yeah, and, and for and like them to make plays. But the they counter making the to that, impact.
1: The counter to that is like I don't know that they're making the smallest impact. Because if you're looking at some of the blocks that they're making, I think that no, they're, they they're one of the biggest reasons that, that goes – not talked about of, of why Ohio State's running game has been so so good. Yeah, um, I think like Farrell
0: and Barry have been excellent, and like we've seen
1: block. the under center sets, and and they've looked really they've looked really uh, impressive right now, and that's straight because they have these tight ends. They have four tight ends that they can rely on. So like every like like you you can make a strong argument against every single uh, position group,
0: which is wild after five games that you and can still do That's a that. very that's a very good uh, question because last year. Uh, last year, I think both of those would have been really easy to answer. So yes. the fact that it's hard to answer it this year is a very, very good thing for Ohio State. Let's move on. Nola Buckeye asks, uh, I'm currently believe belief Wisconsin our toughest test remaining. We already discussed this. Uh, we both think it's Penn State right now. Yep. Uh, I think Wisconsin's a very valid answer. Uh, I think Michigan would still be a valid answer if you want to go with that. Uh, but we, we think it's Penn State. So uh, that's what we're going to go with for now. 47Hawk asks a question that... Uh, I was going to address earlier in the show until I saw your question, uh, but it's about Baron Browning and Tough Borland. And uh, they've basically been playing about the same amount of snaps if you really look at it. really hasn't been a big difference between those two in terms of snaps. But uh, even though Tough Borland's the starter, uh, Baron Browning's been playing just as much and in some games more than Tough Borland. Question is, how long does it take for him to become the de facto starter? And that's one we've discussed, and I think. Uh, I've kind of gone back and forth on it, to be honest. Where I, I think Baron Browning is certainly the more talented player than Tough Borland. I think he has the ability to do things that Tough Borland does not. Uh, I-, I think he's more exp- a more explosive athlete. He's a more violent tackler. He makes his presence felt in ways that Tough Borland just doesn't. But it also stands out to me that in a game where almost every single other player who played a lot was named a champion neither of those guys were i wouldn't have necessarily guessed that tough borland would have but i think the fact that baron browning wasn't on a day that he had seven tackles including a couple tackles for loss means that there were some plays he's been downgraded on and i I, I think as much as he flashes he's still probably making more mistakes than the free starting linebackers uh and, and I also think, and I know Colin, I, I was kind of saying last week that I thought Browning was eventually going to take overtake Borland as a starter, and I think he might, but you know, I think Colin, you've talked about it, that Borland being that team captain, that, that team leader, uh, they're going to be reluctant to bench him. Personally, I, th- I think the rotation is going to stay a lot the same way it is. So I think both those guys each playing about fifty percent of the snaps. I don't think it's going to get to a point where one guy is playing every snap, uh, unless it becomes clear that one of them is playing a lot better than the other. And I think Browning stands out more, but I think that that doesn't mean Borland is playing poorly. Uh, and I and I think. Uh, there's certain areas in which Borland might be playing better in terms of just being more consistent. Uh, so I think the rotation, I think they like the rotation the way it is. To me, the big question that I have is in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, who's going to be the guy in there? Because that means more than who starts. They, they might just start tough just because he's the leader, but in the fourth quarter with the game on the line, if you need the defense to make a big play who's going to be out there, I would go with Browning in that situation
1: and i think ohio state would too i think i think that's who they'll end up playing and like i i think tough had maybe i think it was counted one more snap than browning this past week
0: right yeah i'm pretty sure that was the case
1: yeah and but at the same time he was was playing later in the game um i think browning wasn't named a champion in part because if you look at the the touchdown and the nebraska scored i think he was a little bit out of position on that on that run um I think that Browning, like you said, Browning just flashes. He makes these he makes these astounding hits, and and he, he's super violent at the point of contact, and and he's really explosive um, in a way that just someone with the build of tough Borland just can't be. Like Baron Browning is just a physical freak in that way. Um, so while i don't think that he'll be the starter at all this season i think uh personally i, I do think that uh tough one will remain it i think that as time goes on uh, i think i mentioned this last week or the week before that baron browning will continue to to, to take just chip away at that a little bit and just get a, get a few more snaps each week tough will still have a part um in this team um i think that'll be the case until he
0: graduates um but but the way that browning's playing they, they, they want him on the field Seattle Linga asks us, if this team continues to annihilate its opponents, will they eventually become complacent or have a sluggish game where they play down to their competition? You Probably. imagine. <laughs> Probably. I mean, most teams do. Uh, it's, it, 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 I'm extremely impressed that Ohio State has gone this long without doing that. They've played five games where, where they've played at such an elite level. But, yeah, I, I, I think uh it, it, it's hard to envision this team playing a bad game right now because of how bad they've played but i i i of how well they played, sorry, but I do think they'll have a bad game eventually. I think it doesn't mean they'll lose uh I think they're they're in a good spot right now where they're so good on both sides of the ball that they're going to have to have a really bad game against most teams to lose. But I do think there will come a time where they don't play at the same level they've played in these first five games.
1: Yeah, and I think this question only really matters if it like if it leads to a loss, like if right. they become complacent against Northwestern and only win by two, three
0: touchdowns, like okay. At some point um, at some point they're gonna look human.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they will. Um, What matters is if it leads to a loss. And um, I think we can get into a long conversation about this maybe on the bye week, but but I don't think it will. I
0: don't think we need to at at this time. So let's move on to the next one. Q tip asks Any concern about Nicholas Petit Frere being listed as a co starter at right tackle and then having Alibi start? Is this just Alibi being more deserving of playing time, or is any of this a bad sign for Petit Frere? I think it's more about Alibi being more deserving of playing time, being a fifth-year senior, a guy who has experience playing. I think they trust him more right now. Uh, I think Petit Frere still has some development to do. Uh, Colin wrote about it. Everybody wrote about it this offseason, about Petit Frere's 8,000-calorie diet and having to get bigger. Just from a little bit we've seen of him, I think he still needs to get a little stronger. I think he's got a ton of upside. Uh, Bowen and Alibi are going to be gone next year, so they are certainly expecting Petit Frere to be uh, their starting right tackle next season, I think. And uh, I'd be surprised if he isn't. Uh, But I think right now, I I think it's just a matter of being a fifth-year senior with more experience, that that they trust more and a guy who I think, like we talked about before, he's good enough to start out where... He, he deserved that opportunity and I think he proved on Saturday uh why he was Joyce yep I mean we're talking about um
1: like we're talking about Alibi who's who's been he's been around the program he's he, like I I actually think that I I thought that Nick petit Frere would would probably be the be the starter but I'm not um, taking this as, as a major slight on, on where Petit Frere is in his development. Like you said, um, this is a lot more about them feeling more comfortable with, with Josh Allaby in the moment and less about where they think Nick Petit Frere is in his development will end up. I think, like you said, this doesn't change their plans. I think uh, unless something drastic changes, Nick Petit Frere will be the starting uh, right tackle next year and – and is it a bad sign? I, I I don't I don't really I don't really view it that
0: way. Iowa Buckeyes asked us about uh, the team's giving up ten sacks. Uh, that's sixty seventh in the country. Uh, is that anything to be concerned about right now? Have you reviewed the sacks to break on star? I haven't. Uh, it's a
1: great it's a great story idea though. I'll say it that. is.
0: No, it is. It's a good story idea. Maybe one of us will Write steal that down from for the you. By week. Uh, I think that's a good question. Uh, I'm not going to say it's something that I'm particularly concerned about yet. I also think, like we talked about earlier, I think this is going to be a telling week because I think Wilkes is the best pass rusher they've faced all season, uh, and I think this is going to be a telling week. I I, I would say from what I've seen, I I do think a good amount of fields sacks have been him keeping the ball for a long time and, and trying to make something develop, but there hasn't been any point this year where, to me, Uh, He's been bombarded by pressure. There's been a lot of times where he's had a lot of time to throw. So I I don't think pass protection is a big issue right now. Uh, I do think that a lot of those have been, uh, it says, you know, hard time believing their coverage sacks. I think some of them have been coverage sacks, and I think uh, some of them have been fields sitting in a pocket too long. So uh, we'll see how it progresses over the course of the year. I don't view it as a huge concern right now. I agree that, that it's much, much less of a an offensive
1: line issue. I think the offensive line has been really solid in pass protection. When I think that a lot of the stats have, have often come because, like you said, Fields is trying to make a play. And if I'm if I'm Ryan Day, if, if I'm an Ohio State coach, like I like that's a sack I think you sort of have to be okay with him taking. Because he's had a couple where he's broken out uh broken out of uh someone's maybe has his arm on him and he's and he's gotten away and he's made a play downfield and like those like this is this is who Justin Fields is. You sort of just have to take some of those sacks. Like he, he hasn't been taking a ton, but you have to take one a game where where maybe it would have been better to throw it away and I, and and i think that that's okay
0: mug bucket asks us which of the new coaches have made the biggest immediate impact on production this year and who will be the first to get poached i don't have an answer for the second one uh the, the team's played so well right now i don't think anybody's on the chopping block at this point so uh we'll revisit that later if if there's a it areas that struggle but right now. well i think he's
1: asking about which who gets hired away oh oh
0: oh, okay yeah yeah, who'll be the first to get poached then as a coach from another team i'd probably go jeff halfley i think i think uh jeff halfley and we're talking uh, about the new coaches not
1: not the guys who who remained on staff yes yeah
0: i think of the new coaches uh i think jeff halfley is a rising superstar in the industry i think he's gonna have head coaching offers this year uh ryan day uh, did say on Tuesday that he expects everybody to be around for a long time. Uh, we'll see if that holds true. I'm not going to make any predictions there, but I, I do think uh, the guy that's going to for sure have offers this offseason is Jeff Halfley, and if they want to keep him around, they're probably going to need to uh, give him a nice pay raise. Uh, Brent Venables has got a deal if they want to keep him around for a long time. Uh, but, you know, biggest immediate impact on production I think he's certainly up there. Uh, I, I think I would give him and Greg Madison equal credit at this point, being the defensive coordinators, and they'd be my top two. But I also think the linebackers have been great, so you got to give Al Washington a lot of credit. Justin Fields has been great, so you got to live, got to give Mike Yurcich a lot of credit. And Matt Barnes, uh, special teams have been really good. So, Damn, I, who the hell are you leaving for me? Well, I, I'm just saying, I, I'm just saying <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't have a one answer.
1: Do you have one answer? Um, I'll pick Al Washington because you look at the difference from coaching last year versus this year. You, like I like, there is just something to be said about the confidence that this defense is playing with. Um, I think every single linebacker at um, at the second level is just playing better than they were last year, and I think Al has a lot to do with it.
0: Thanks for your question, Mug Bucket, and sorry for not understanding it at first. We've we've been talking for a while here, so uh, I think I'm running out of steam a little bit. Uh, Next question from the Nomadic Buckeye: Young Okuda and Dobbins are almost locked sleeve leave early for the draft. Do you think any other draft-eligible players live earlier this year? I love this question because do you I want lo- save it for the bye love- week. You just cut me off, but yeah, it's exactly what I was going to say. Awesome. I love, I love this question because I love the NFL draft, but this is a better question for a bye week because we could talk about this for 15 minutes and we did not have 15 minutes. So remind us on the bye week, please do, please do, because we definitely want to talk about that. Uh, but it's not a question we can answer in the short time that we have left. Juice asks us, does Mark D'Antonio have something for this or not? Something about Jupiter and Neptune and cats and dogs living together? Uh, I'm just going to answer the first question. I, I just don't really see it. Uh, we talked about it before. Uh, Mark D'Antonio always plays tough. Uh, Michigan State, it's not a team that you can sleep on, uh, but I just don't see it this year. I just don't. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's it's it's really a great. It's a
1: well worded question though. I like Mark F and Dan Antonio. I mean, <laughs> listen, I enjoy that.
0: Does he have something for you this? Does he have something this year for us or not? Nah? I'm gonna go nah. Nah. Daniel asks, does KJ Hill break for reception record? We talked about this last week. I think he still will. Uh, yep. He had five catches last week. That's the kind of game he needed to get there. Uh, I think he's already at twenty. So he's, he's already yep. He's on he's on pace. I think as long as he stays healthy, uh, he will finish this season as Ohio State's all time leader in receptions. Uh, Bartholomew asks us: Did this game hurt Adrian Martinez's Heisman chances? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah, I think when you finish the first half with more interceptions. Uh, than past completions. Uh, I think your Heisman Trophy candidacy for the year is over. Uh, Enon Buck 79 asks, who has a better secondary, the Ohio State Buckeyes or Miami Dolphins? Normally I'd always defer to pro team, but watching the Dolphins without Fitzpatrick, combined with a play of Okuda, Wade, Arnett, and Fuller, well, it had him thinking. Uh, that's a good question. I, that's a good, <laughs> it's a good question, because uh, I do think there is an argument here For Ohio State, I do think all four of those guys are future NFL players. Uh, I think Jeff Okuda is one of the best corners in the country. I think Jordan Fuller's a really good safety on the back end. I'm still going to defer to the Dolphins here, though, because I think most of the time uh, the pro team is always going to be better than a college team, even when we're talking about the worst uh, NFL team in the league right now. Uh, Xavier Howard is one of the highest-paid corners in the NFL. Rashad Jones is a guy who's been there for a while. Uh so I think it's close, but I'd take the Dolphins. I would too. I mean, I think Okuda could be a potential
1: Pro Bowl type guy, like right out the gate. Um and I think Wade Arnett and Fuller can all have NFL careers, but these are NFL players that we're talking about. And Rashad Jones, like I I can't say that I've watched a ton of tape on him this year and the way that uh the way that Enon Buck seventy nine is talking, it sounds like he hasn't been a stud, but I mean two years ago he's a NFL Pro Bowler and Jordan Fuller just caught his
0: fourth career interception in college. So um I'm gonna go with the Dolphins. Final question, Erfoyd asks, what do you guys think the hesitation is with putting Garrett Wilson permanently on punt return two games in a row of two big returns? Seems like a no-brainer to me. Personally, I think the biggest hesitation is the fact that if they take Demario McCall off of returns, he might not have a role on the team because we've seen it that uh, he is not—he does not have a role in this offense. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I saw on the snap counts article that I published on Tuesday that there were a lot of comments about the amount of offseason articles that 11 Warrior has written about Demario McCall and how it seems to be the same old story with him. Uh, No offense to DeMario, but I've given up on the idea that he's going to play a big role in Ohio State's offense. It just doesn't seem to be in the cards at this point. So I think returns is where he's most likely to make his impact. I think his kickoff return job is safe, seeing Jameson Williams fumble the one kickoff that came his way on Saturday night. But I do think from what we've seen of Garrett Wilson the past couple weeks... Uh, I I do think that's something they should seriously consider is making him a lead punt returner.
1: Yeah, I think the answer to me of why he's not permanently on on punt return right now is because they went into the season with a plan, and then they had Garrett Wilson return one late in the game. turned out that he returned it for 52 yards, so then they gave him another, uh,
0: how many did he have, one or two punt returns in the past game? Not 100%. He only had one that counted. He had a long return, but it yes. didn't count because of an illegal block in the backfield. Yeah, alley. so
1: so he had two. So right now he has two official punt returns and, and three total punt returns. So like, I think they went into the they went into the season with an idea of what they were going to have at punt return, and and they had even mentioned in the preseason that they were going to give Garrett Wilson um, some looks at, at at that spot, but. I think that I don't think that they want to necessarily just turn over the complete range to him after seeing him return just three punts. I think that he'll continue to, have, to continue to return punts. There's no reason he shouldn't. Um, and I think that if he, if he, if, I mean, if he continues to produce like he has, there's no reason to think that he can't ascend into the uh, the top spot there. But,
0: but that's sort of my reasoning. Well, we want to thank you guys for hanging in there with us. Uh, some technical difficulties on our end, but we. Made I hope it.
1: the audio is okay.
0: Uh, well, you you guys will let us know. You guys usually let <laughs> us know if there's audio problems. Uh, usually I don't even catch them, and you guys will let us know. So, uh, feel free to let us know if, if, if there's anything wrong with the audio. And uh, next week we'll uh, probably be doing it in in person again. So uh, hopefully, yeah, well, I hope so. Shore up any uh, difficulties here, but uh, want to thank you guys for listening in. Thank you all for sending in. Uh, your questions. We tried to get to as many of you as we could. If we didn't, uh, send us a question again next week. It's for bye week, so we'll certainly uh, try to get some questions for you guys. Uh, we'll recap the Michigan State game. Uh, maybe we'll even talk a couple minutes of basketball. Uh, Colin, uh, Big Ten Basketball Media Days this week, being a bye week, maybe an opportunity to talk about that a little bit. There you uh, go. So uh, Tune in next week. Uh, no game next week, but we're still going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week.